Hardy's signature Frisco burger and Frisco breakfast sandwich are the kind of goodness people drive across town for. Classic favorites on a toasted sourdough bun. Only at Hardy's. Goodness in the making. Participation may vary. And welcome into another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And after a much-deserved, much-needed vacation at the Sells Man, Matt Sells is back in the in the podcasting chair with me here. So, Matt, glad to have you back. How was vacation? How is everything going for you? Vacation was fun. Um, I was telling you before we started recording that... Um, you know, this is kind of my vacation right now, this this week that my kids have stayed down in Florida with their grandparents. So the wife and I are getting much deserved and much needed uh, us time uh, for this week. So it's been very weird having a very quiet house during the day while my wife is at work. And obviously I work from here and my kids are not here. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of uh, a little something I got to get used to with the kids going to full day school in the fall. But other than that, it's been good. You know, watched uh, watched some baseball on vacation. We're actually going to the Royals Tigers game on Wednesday. Uh, so if anybody's in Kansas City and wants to come hang out on the party porch with uh, me and my wife at Kauffman Stadium, we can do that because uh, that's where I'll be on Wednesday is uh, getting all you can eat, drink and food and a baseball game. All for one ticket. I, well, first off, I'm jealous. Second off, this is almost like your parenting all-star break, almost, that no kids get to go to a game, all you can drink and eat. I mean, this is, yeah, well, this is your reason, all-star break. The reason we're doing it, speaking of the all-star break, it's the last home game for the Royals before the all-star break. But my kids and my father-in-law also fly back in to Kansas City Wednesday evening. So it happens that there's a 1 o'clock game on Wednesday in Kansas City. So we're going to go and uh, enjoy ourselves. My wife has never seen Kauffman Stadium. Uh, I've been there a few different times. Great ballpark, by the way. I know the team gets overlooked, but it's a great ballpark. Um, so, yeah, we're going to partake in, uh, you know, anytime I get one of those all-you-can-eat-and-drink things, it comes as a challenge to me. So I'm going to see just how much food and uh beverages i can cram into my face during the game are there any are there any early lines on that um it's gonna be at least two beers that's for sure oh come on maybe well here's the trick a i've got to be sober enough to drive across kansas city to go to the airport and then drive two and a half hours back home uh with my father-in-law and kids and wife in the car so you know not not gonna get inebriated i might imbibe a little there you go there's some some big words for you folks out there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, I mean, the tickets include all you can drink beer until the seventh inning, which is also nice. So I can get sodas and I can get Boulevard beers and they have like a crazy food selection too. So should be, should be pretty fun. I would, I would lean to the, I would lean to the over there, but I'm seeing it's uh Tarek Skubal and Brady Singer. So if both pitchers throw like they have been, I don't know. It might be a quick game. Might be hard for you to get that over two and a half two line that you're setting out there. Might be, but yeah, you know, wait. It, it's going to be fun because we get to see Miggy in what is theoretically his last year. Um, Bobby Witt Jr., Vinny Pasquatino. You know, I get to go see my boy Michael A. Taylor again because I love that guy. Um, so yeah, it'll be Riley Green. 
for the Tigers. Obviously, Tariq Skubal um, and MJ Melendez. So there's a whole bunch of young talent I get to go see in this in this game that's not getting a lot of attention. Well, and then if anyone takes you up on your offer, they'll see some young talent out on the party porch too with you out there slinging slinging and imbibing and all, hanging out. All I can say is the last time I went to one of these seats, it was my dad's birthday, and he cashed in a bunch of points, and we sat in the seats directly behind home plate at Nats Park. Uh, where they actually serve you in your seat, and it's all you can eat and drink. Um, and there's a buffet before the game for those seats, too, by the way, that's complimentary. Um, and we downed a lot of stuff. <laughs> we, we downed a lot of stuff. It also didn't hurt that it was unseasonably hot that day. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll take it a little bit easier this time because, again, I have to drive. Um, but, yeah. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun gonna be a fun time. Well, I look forward to seeing the tweet go out there, see if anyone meets up with you, especially from the family out there on the party porch. So that should be a good time. But you know, the All Star break is next week. We've already got a couple confirmed participants in the home run derby. We might talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> Mainly one of the participants. We might get into that a little bit. But let's hit a couple of the main news and notes here first. I think we'd be remiss. There was really only two people that we could start this off with. Um, we'll just go ahead and do the first one. Wander Franco back on the injured list. It was originally reported as right wrist discomfort. Now they're talking that it's a hamate fracture. Uh, that's one of those trigger words for fantasy baseball folks and baseball players alike. Again, I think you said the timetable was either five to eight or six to eight weeks, but it's one of those things that we talked about. Five to eight means that they might be back on the field in five to eight, but it might be you know, at the, if it all goes well, maybe eight to 10, maybe 12, until he starts feeling full health with that. Uh, handmade injury. So Wander Franco is going to be out again. Big blow to fantasy owners and the Rays alike, really. So um, basically, what are we doing here with Wander Franco? If you if you have plenty of IL spots, obviously you're going to hold on to him. But let's push let's push the envelope a little bit. Let's say your league only has like one or two IL spots. What do we do with Franco in this wrist injury? I don't know because eight weeks. I mean, we're already in the middle of July, right? It's we're recording this Monday night. It's July 11th. Um, I'm not sure he's undergone surgery yet. Maybe he did. Um, and the timetable was five to eight following surgery. Either way, um, let's just say that it's on the longer side because I want to be careful with the guy that they signed for like a 15 year contract, right? If it's eight weeks from the middle of July, that puts it at what? The middle of September? Somewhere around there maybe the second week of September. Um, so that's not a whole lot of time that you're going to get them on the field right now. If it's five weeks, then maybe you get the, get them back in the third week of August, late August. That can make a difference. So for right now, I might hold it. I think you have to. You got to figure out because what it's going to be. Because if it's five weeks, you get a month of Wander Franco, even if the power isn't there because Hammy Bone sat power. We heard that before. He still steals bags. He's still going to make contact. He's still going to be a top-of-the-order hitter for a pretty good offensive team in Tampa, assuming that they'll probably make moves um, at the deadline. So you got to hold him, right? And this is specifically for redraft because I don't care about keeper and dynasty. You're not letting the guy go, obviously. So for right now, I would hold him. If you start to hear news that it's turning trending towards the eight weeks, you drop him. I think that's not gonna, yeah. He's not going to do anything in two weeks that's going to make a difference for you. 
Yeah, and especially this year. I mean, I don't I don't want to kick the guy while he's down, but he hasn't been overwhelmingly great this year. No. So, you know, there's a couple things you can look at too. Like if the if the handmade injury lingers even just a little bit, I mean, a lot of his batted ball metrics were the same, roughly the same from last year. The launch angle was a little bit down, but it's not like we're it's not like we're talking about he was Jordan Alvarez and then now he's gonna have this handmade injury and he's gonna come back as like uh you know, like a mile straw type. Like he wasn't that prolific from a power right. standpoint this year. Obviously, because he's got all the potential in the world. You can't write someone off after for 128 games. Yeah, he's bigs. still like 20 years old, man. He's yeah, still... if I mean he he actually is 21, so he could hang out oh. with you on the party porch. Maybe he's on okay. that IL. Maybe he'll maybe he'll come hang out. But yeah, I think you got to hold. You just you can't do anything yet until you find out, and then once you know, then you can go ahead and make that decision. I talked about Jordan Alvarez here. He's gone to the IL. This one stinks because I was really kind of hoping he might accept the nomination into the home run derby. Let him see him out there and put that power on display. But he's going to the IL with hand soreness. This one I'm not as worried about compared to Franco. Obviously, you know, fracture versus soreness is largely pretty different in and of itself. Um, But to me, and looking at the injury report we have here on Fantasy Alarm, sounds like he'll be pretty much back after the all-star break. Maybe it takes a little bit to get back going again, but... For me, at least, I'm not overly concerned about Alvarez. Yeah, neither am I. Dusty Baker said it was getting progressively worse, but didn't. there was, like, no alarm bells for him. It was just, hey, we've only got a handful of games left until the All-Star break, so we may as well just get an extra roster spot, and you'll be back after the All-Star break, right? There's no, There was no sound of panic uh, when hearing Dusty Baker talking about it. It does stink for Jordan because he he was going to be on the All Star roster. Um, he had barely lost out to Shohei Otani to be the starting DH, which I thought was a little interesting. Um, but let me let me cycle back to you said you wanted Jordan to be in the home run derby. I did. Do you, as a fantasy player and a real life fan? Does it concern you that, statistically speaking, guys who play in the home run derby start slow in the second half because their swing is all jacked up from trying to hit repetitive bombs every 30 seconds for, like, three hours? I mean, there's definitely a, there's definitely a case behind that. I mean, I, it's not the same quite comparison, but, you know, like in, in excuse me, the NFL, they have, like, the Madden curse. You see your guy on the cover, it's like, right. oh, no, this is doomed. Maybe that's gotten debunked a little bit, but a couple, maybe more than a couple years back, but wasn't wasn't Bobby Bobby Abreu kind of the catalyst for this, where he did the Derby and then he was the one that like famously imploded after it? Wasn't he the catalyst for this narrative? I think so. I mean, I think he he certainly got it. I'm I'm sure that there was anecdotal evidence of it, mm-hmm. but nobody had fully tracked it. And then Bobby Abreu absolutely fell apart in the second half. Um, I would say that, that it would, to me, it depends on the guy's swing, right? Like as a Nats fan, I was not concerned that Juan Soto did the home run derby a few years ago because his swing stays the same. It's not a massive uppercut swing. It's, he generates power with his bat speed and the level, you know, swing through the, through the zone. But guys that have uppercut swings, historically speaking, have, had very slow second halves after doing the home run derby. So it is something you want to pay attention to. 
Yeah, one name in the Derby I am concerned about is Albert Pujols, but that's for more reasons, just for his swing. That's mostly because they're going to need a wheelchair to get him out onto the field. Yeah, it's don't get me wrong. Great story. It'll be a fun moment. In the moment, I'll appreciate it. But you know, but right I thought now, it was an onion it. headline when I saw it instead of coming from the Athletic. <laughs> like I, I don't know. It's cool that he's there, right? It's cool that For Mickey's sure. there. But like, anybody want to see Miggy try to go in the home run derby? I don't. I, I don't think so. No. I, right now, I think it's a cool story. I, part of me thinks come Monday night. Um, when we get the pool holes to spot, I'm going to be like, man, it would have been really cool to see a healthy Jordan here. Or, man, it would have been really cool to see O'Neal Cruz or or Brian Reynolds or any of those other Pirates, maybe anyone there. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll be a cool story nonetheless. But I mentioned Brian Reynolds, and he's gone to the IL with an oblique injury. So we had a – I don't remember who exactly it was last week. Oh, it was uh, – I'm sorry. It was Frankie Montas when James and I did last week's podcast. We talked about the injury. So who was the biggest loser? Is it fantasy baseball managers – or in that case, was it the the Oakland Athletics brass? So I'll pr- I'm going to pose the same question to you here in terms of Brian Reynolds. Obviously, there's no doubts about it. Pittsburgh knows they can win without a caliber guy like Reynolds. So they're going to make him expendable here at the at the deadline. And he was he was hitting well, hitting 389 over his last seven games, 317 over the last his last 30 games. But he's on the aisle with an oblique, and obliques are tricky. Maybe not quite as tricky as like hand and wrist issues for hitters, but obliques are no are no joke either. So with Reynolds going on the IL, there's still some thought that he might get traded. So in this case, who is the bigger loser? Fantasy baseball managers or the Pittsburgh Pirates organization? It's fantasy baseball managers. Because um, here's the thing. It makes no sense for Ryan Reynolds to be traded right now. He's under contract through next year. The contract doesn't end this year. He's actually under contract. This is according to Spotrack uh, through 2023. Then his arbitration, then he's got two years of arbitration. Okay, which theoretically means he's a free agent at the end of um, 2023, right? Because you arguably you don't have to come to a guy with arbitration, but it, it can get tricky if you don't re-sign him. You could trade him then, whatever. So I'm going to say fantasy baseball managers here because you're losing a guy who was performing as, I don't know, maybe a top 15 outfielder. I mean, he was having a real good run here. And obliques are tricky. Even if he comes back, there's no guarantee he doesn't screw it up when he comes back because they can linger. Um, You can think you're doing very well in your recovery and then you just kind of twist it a little bit and, all of a sudden, it's another, like, three weeks. Um, not saying that's going to happen here. Again, don't know the exact time frame of this, but I'm going to say fantasy baseball managers uh, lose out here because I'm still not convinced the Pirates were going to trade Brian Reynolds. Yeah, it's the the case can be made that they, they shouldn't do it because, I mean, when you look at, like, the free agency next year, just, you know, Pittsburgh, when, the, when they inevitably add, you know, Aaron Judge, Wilson Contreras, and Trey Turner to that lineup already with O'Neill Cruz and Brian Reynolds and Cabrian Hayes. It's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough team to beat. So and Reynolds has been darn good this year. 261, 15 homers, three stolen bases. So I think you're right. I think it's fantasy baseball managers. The Reynolds isn't the guy I see Pittsburgh dealing on this team. There's a very clear and obvious name who they are going to trade, and there's no, no denying that they're gonna trade Bednar. 100 percent that he's gonna get traded. Oh yeah. That is oh, that's yeah. that's Pittsburgh's mo. It, it seems like every year it's like, well, oh every man, team, if you're not competing, True. there's no reason to have a closer because 
competitors will pay you an obscene amount of prospect capital or player capital to go get a closer that can do the job. And there's plenty of teams that need bullpen help. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Bednar is going to go, and he's going to fetch a pretty nice return. Um, and, yeah, I, I would love to see the Pirates keep Brian Reynolds as a guy to build around because – the farm system is coming. It's growing. And they've got some decent rotation pieces coming. They've got some more offensive pieces coming. And if Brian Reynolds can be that veteran guy that shows them the ropes, this this could be, you know, back to the core of the Pirates teams that we saw in the early 2010s. Yep. And Reynolds, Hayes, and Cruz is a pretty darn good trio to have, ideally, hitting one, two, and three, or one, two, and four, however you want to look at it, in that lineup. Whit Merrifield has gone to the injured list. I'm not going to go into it too much. I'll let you dive into it. But the thing that sticks out to me is weeks, not days. Uh, I don't like weeks. Weeks are not good, especially as we get to this point. Every every game, every day, every week, month matters at this point. So talk to me about Whit Merrifield heading to the IL. Yeah, this news kind of broke uh, this morning here, Monday morning, uh, as to the reason why he was not in the lineup for the Royals the first time in, I think, 553 games or something they said. Uh, that he was not in the lineup. Well, it turns out he's got a bone bruise and a and ligament swelling in a toe, and he's in a boot, uh, not like a Timberland boot, a walking boot, which is never good. You never want to see your guy in a walking boot, especially the guy with the skill set that Whit Merrifield possesses. Um, and the team doctor or the doctor that he saw, I can't remember which, it was Dr. Key, but I don't know if that's the doctor he saw or the Royals team doctor, said he would be in the walking boot for a couple of weeks. That's not good, right? The Royals haven't officially put him on the IL as of this recording, but it's almost assuredly coming. Um, I'm sure they're trying to figure out who they want to send, you know, who who they want to call up when they put him on the IL, but yeah, he's going to be on the shelf for a couple of weeks and then we'll see what happens because if you got ligament swelling, they might need to check into why, um, hopefully it's just, infl- you know, inflammation, but we'll see. There might be a rehab assignment there. They might, the, the worst thing that could happen is he comes back and they say, Hey, let's not aggravate it and let's not run. Mm-hmm. Right, like let's treat it like turf toe and not aggravate it. And if he's not running, he's useless. Yep, it sounds like to me you won't be seeing Merrifield at the party porch. Actually, you probably have a better chance to see him at at on the actual party porch because compared to on the field, so <laughs> bit of a <laughs> bit of a a bummer there. But as Merrifield kind of what seems like exits the lineup here for a little bit, uh, the New York Yankees sound like. Domingo Herman could be coming back somewhat soon. He's looked good in some rehab starts. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is do the Yankees go with a six-man rotation upon Herman's return, or does someone else get moved to the bullpen? And I think the name to watch here just might be Nasty Nestor Cortez, because when you look at his numbers, um, quick little math here, back in 2018, he threw around 120 or so innings, and that's the highest that he's ever thrown. And last year, he was... 22 not quite there either and he's already at 88 innings this year so we're getting close even if you say he's throwing 111 let's say 25 to 30 more innings plus talking 140 innings he's well well on pace to surpass that so do you think the Yankees go to a six-man rotation and if so 
I would probably assume that you would think Cortez would be the one that would move out if they don't go to the six-man rotation. So if there wasn't a limit on the number of pitchers you can have on an active roster, Mm -hmm. I would say they would go to a six-man rotation. However, given the way that Aaron Boone likes to use his bullpen and make sure that nobody pitches more than two days in a row, um, they like to control the innings on their guys, especially considering the fact that several of them are coming back or have had injury concerns this year. Um, and their starting rotation is full of guys with injury concerns. I think they move Nestor Cortez uh, into the pen, and I think Domingo Herman takes his spot. Um it it just it it makes too much sense. You can't go with a six man rotation when you're only allowed thirteen pitchers, right? Because that only gives you seven bullpen guys, and the Yankees basically have two closers between Clay Holmes and Aroldis Chapman, right? So that's only going to leave you five bullpen pieces. That's too few, I think, for Aaron Boone to do what he does with the pen and mix and match and keep guys off on days and and whatnot. So I think that, that yeah, Nasty Nestor is going to be a candidate to go to the pen once Herman comes back. And you can see it here. It's not many times you get, like, a perfect correlation, really. But, you know, Cortez is, on, like I said, on pace to surpass his the highest innings he's ever thrown in his career. And when you look by month, each month, that ERA, up, up, up. It's like a perfect line. It's like as his innings go up, so is that ERA. So it's you don't get many times where it's like a perfect correlation like that. But yeah, there's also the fact that he he's surviving as a starting pitcher, mm-hmm. but it's mainly because of the movement, right? He's nasty nester because of the movement on his pitches. It's not that he's got such a wide assortment to throw, right? So I think at some point people are going to start to figure him out a little bit, and that's what's happening now with his numbers going up. So I think it's actually better that he moves to the pen and becomes more effective again. And then in Texas, Mitch Garver is going to miss the rest of the season surgery on his flexor tendon. You know, don't have to get too much into it. Sounds like he'll be fine for next year, but this year it seems like Jonah Heim is going to be unquestioned guy behind the dish now for Texas. So in those in two catcher leagues and even in deeper one catcher league, that's um, something that might benefit you if you have um, Jonah Heim on your team, but any thoughts with the Garver injury? No, I mean, I thought it was a nice touch that they let him play against his former team before they put him on the IL because um, there was not really any risk in him damaging it more. It was all pain tolerance. I mean, obviously, he was going to have the surgery, right? But they, they finished off the series with the Twins before they put him on the IL. So that was kind of a nice touch. Jonah Heim is going to get a real test run here, right? Uh, he got a little bit of it last year. Didn't quite work out the way that they wanted it to. So we'll see if another year of seasoning uh, helps Jonah Heim, who was supposed to be a pretty decent bat coming up through the uh, Rangers system. So uh, Garver will be fine for next year. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you're in desperate need of a catcher for some reason, you could take a shot on Jonah Heim if he's available. Yep, and if you can make daily moves or you're just a DFS player, Heim has a 1.067 OPS against left-handed pitching with a there 202 WRC+. plus. So Heim against lefties is the move, as they say. We actually did get a trade leading up to the MLB trade deadline, but no, no, no. 
not Wilson Contreras, not Josh Bell, none of the star Pirates players, but the Braves and Royals made a deal um, headlined. I believe the deal was pretty much around the 35, 35th pick in the draft and Drew Water. So it looks like the full deal is the Braves acquired 35th pick. Kansas City gets Drew Waters and then two other prospects with Waters being the headliner there. So um, being the prospect guy here, talk to us about this deal and all the little nuances surrounding it and everything. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, not often that we see MLB teams trade draft picks. Um, it is possible they can't trade anything in the actual first round. Um, and I think it's really only compensatory picks early on that you can trade, which is what this one was. Um, you know, Drew Waters was, at one point, just a couple of years ago, the Braves' number one prospect. Overall, not just hitting prospect, overall prospect. His star was on the rise. He reached AAA very early. He was crushing baseballs and putting up very good numbers all over the place. Um, because the knock on their previous top prospect, um, Christian Pache, was that the bat wasn't great, but the defense was phenomenal. Right, He was going to be your standard defensive guy who's just going to kind of do enough with the bat to make it worth it. Well, Drew Waters does pretty decently defensively and has a very good bat. Um, so we're looking at probably the future center fielder for the Royals. Drew Waters is only 23 years old still, so you know he's still pretty young. We could see him up later this year. Um, you know, what, what kind of dimmed his star a little bit was he got to the upper levels and his strikeout rate started to decline. Well, he's sorted that out pretty decently over the last year and a half or so. Um, so I'm sure he'll get some time in Omaha to start for sure. And then um, we'll see how it shakes out. The only concern I have is that the Royals seem to have, I'm not going to say it's a stacked outfield, but there are guys that are that are count for everything, right? Like Michael A. Taylor is a gold glove center fielder. Right. Uh, Andrew Benintendi having a little bit of a down year this year, but he's still pretty good in left field. Then you got to figure out right field between Kyle Isbell, Edward Olivares, uh, a couple other guys. So it's getting a little crowded, but Drew Waters is going to be, I think, the the future center fielder, um, if not right fielder for the Royals. And just for the story's sake, I mean, it's hard to criticize Kansas City for making this deal because if everybody stays and they move to where they're going to be I mean up the gut you know you got Melendez behind the dish Witt's going to be somewhere in the middle infield likely shortstop and then you know Waters and center field that's kind of sneaky good let's be honest with it yeah it is sneaky good it's also young and impressive um the Royals don't have that many guys coming up from like the low minors and outfield right now and let's face it, the, the you know, 35th is still a pretty good prospect. There's plenty of guys that get taken in that spot in the draft that are still very good prospects, right? No doubt about it. However, you're still going to have to spend at least two years with them moving up through the system if everything develops the right way and everything works out and all that good stuff, or you can get a guy who's nearly major league ready and let Atlanta try to sort out the 35th pick, which comes with a $2 million slot value. So I think that's fine. They also got a couple other prospects, which will add depth to their system, but they're not really anything to write home about. 
Um, and so, yeah, I think, frankly, it was a very good trade for um, Kansas City. There are plenty of people that thought that they would have to give up Andrew Benintendi and the 35th pick to get Drew Waters. So keeping Benintendi and getting Drew Waters and only giving up the 35th is a nice move for Kansas City. And then, of course, we have the MLB All-Star Game coming. we got to talk a little bit about the rosters. Don't need to go too much in-depth, but I'm going to – we're, I'm, well, I'm going to pose you and myself, I guess, two questions here. Um, of the players that did make it, you don't necessarily have to pick a starter. I am. You don't have to. But who is the biggest surprise for you who made the All-Star Game roster? That's a pretty good question. Let me refresh my memory here on the uh, All-Star rosters. Well, while you're looking at it, let me go, because I'm, I'm top of mind here with my thoughts. Uh, I don't think Giancarlo Stan should be starting. If it weren't for the home runs, it's been a horrible season. He's tied for 85th in war, tied with the likes of Mark Kana, Bobby Wood Jr., his own freaking teammate, Aaron Hicks, Mike Yastrzemski, Austin Hayes. Like It's literally the 22 home runs that have brought him in there. Everything else has been not great. He, I don't think he should be starting. There's other guys that should be in that AL outfield. Uh, it probably would have been Alvarez if he was – healthy or maybe you move like a Kyle Tucker or I don't know maybe Julio Rodriguez into the starting lineup for the all-star game here in his rookie year so I just don't like Stanton being a starter that was the one that kind of rubbed me the wrong way so uh, that's mine I don't think he should be at least starting and I mean like I said if it weren't for the home runs he probably wouldn't even be in the game Um, so who are you surprised by Um, I would I will agree with that. I will also go with, I'm a little bit surprised that Tim Anderson is starting. Mm. Like, the guy is good. Don't get me wrong. I traded for him earlier this year in a three-team trade in my massive 20-team league, mainly to get arm depth to, you know, so I don't have to burn McKenzie Gore. But, A, he's been injured, right? So I'm not going to hold that against him. But, like, the times that he's been on the field – the numbers aren't huge. Like, sure, 318 batting average. Great. 11 stolen bases? I mean, that's okay. 21 RBI, not great. 37 runs, not great. Five home runs, not great. Like, it, I don't know. Shortstop is considered a fairly strong position by most accounts. Um and maybe the AL is just down this year, but I don't I don't know why, to be perfectly honest, that Tim Anderson is the starting shortstop. I mean, I know defense has stuff to do with it, but that's that's a little that's a little shocking to me that Tim Anderson is the starting uh shortstop. Yeah, I think you could have sold me on other guys, other AL shortstop, you probably had a better chance of selling me on there for uh you know, the all-star starters there. Now, of course, this is, I think this is the more fun one. Yes, I was a little animated with Giancarlo Stan, but sometimes it's not who made the game. It's who didn't make the game that raises more eyebrows. And I'm going to go ahead and ask you to pick who you think is the biggest all-star snub is. However, I know just reading articles, talking to people, picking one is going to be almost ruthlessly difficult because there are so darn many that, really deserve to be in the all-star game. So I'll go ahead and pose it to you. Who is your biggest all-star snub? Um, it's, it's pretty hard to get around uh, Carlos Rodon not making the all-star team, yep. to be perfectly honest. I mean, his numbers are insane. 
this year, and it's not just this year. They were very good last year when he stayed healthy, and then he went and signed a deal that nobody thought was a great deal because, oh, he's not going to stay healthy. And then what is he doing? He's put, he's pitching better this year, right? And, yes, he's in a fairly good ballpark for pitchers. Okay, but it's not all that because he's also got to go to Coors. He's also got to go to Dodger Stadium. He's also got to go and face the Padres, which can be tough at times. So, like, how is that guy not on not on a roster at all? Like, I know fans don't vote for pitchers and it's whatever, but how is that guy not on a roster? Yep. Like, yep. And and Freddie Freeman, I guess, we'll, we'll toss in there, too. Like, it's his home. Like, the game's in L.A. Yep. That one, that was one I was wondering if we were going to get there would be uh, the Freddie Freeman. But I am with you with Carlos Rodon. I think he should have been there. Other ones that jump out to me, I know Ty Francis cooled off, but I think he had done enough to at least get a backup spot. I mean, sure, if you want to start Vladdy Jr., that's fine. I get it. I, you can sell me on that one. Uh, totally believe that he should have been in there. And then the other one in the American League, I know, I know teams have to be represented, so I know Paul Blackburn got in, and he's been good. He's lost me money because I try to go against him on prize picks and FanDuel, and it hasn't quite worked. Um, but Dylan Cease has got to be in there. <clears throat> Seven and four on the year, 2.45 ERA. He's got a, an immense K per nine. Just just for fun to kind of accentuate our point here, because it's always nice to be validated when you're right. When you're looking at qualified starters this year in terms of their K per nine, Dylan Cease is first, not an all-star. McClanahan is second, all-star. Corbin Burns is third. You can guess that. Garrett Cole is fourth. You can guess what he is. And then guess who number five is? Mr. Carlos Rodon, not an all-star. Two of the top five in K per nine are not all-stars. I know it's not all about strikeouts, but if it's all about homers and John Carlos Stanton gets in, it sure as hell should be all about strikeouts for these pitchers. But I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I will say, by the way, if you're keeping track of a feel-good story, um, Jorge Lopez for Mm -hmm. the Orioles is a feel-good story. The guy's been pitching very, very well this year for a team that nobody really pays attention to. Um, and on top of that, his son has been battling some crazy illness um, that's, I'm not sure it's curable, I think it's, but I don't want to speak out of turn on that, but it's like some really serious like condition that his son is battling. And he was cleared to leave the hospital in May to see his dad pitch for like the first time. So that's a pretty cool story to see there. But yeah, I I think there's, there's definitely some decent snubs uh, on this list for sure. I think there's more in the NL to be honest than in the AL. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have that big of an issue with the AL list overall. Other than Stan and Anderson. Yes. Yep. And but, yeah, I'm, I, I, I agree. I think those are the big ones and a lot of, there are a lot of feel good stories, but there are some stuff that we are certainly going to get in the end. Like to be perfectly, like, I don't understand how Julio Rodriguez isn't starting in the outfield. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. He should be over Stanton, but I'll get off. Also, Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker's been really, really good this year. There's a lot of options they could have gone other than Stanton. I think we both agree on that. So, 
we'll just we'll kind of leave it at that. But with the All-Star break comes the trade deadline shortly thereafter. Don't want to spend too much time on this, but each week leading up to the deadline on the podcast, we'll each give you a player that we think will get traded. And if you want to, bonus points if you want to give the destination. I'm going to read the tea leaves and go a little bit chalky here, but I think Andrew Benintendi gets dealt to the, to the Yankees. Sounds like they've kind of kicked the tires on it a little bit. They've been talking about it. Yankees could use a guy who can regularly get on base and hit for a good average instead of all of these the big boppers that they got there. So I say Benintendi goes to the New York Yankees. What say you this week? I think Shane Bieber goes to the Dodgers. As if they needed more. Yeah, they do, actually. I know. Because their rotation is not good right now. Um, it's really injured, obviously, with, you know, Kershaw's already been on the IL. They're kind of managing him. Walker Bueller's out. They don't have Dustin May back yet. Um, you know, David Price isn't really a starter. Um, so, you know, it's it's not – I mean, look at this rotation, right? This was the team that was thought to be the absolute lock in the NL this year. Their rotation right now is Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias, Mike, uh, Mitch White, Tony Gonsolin, and Tyler Anderson. Yes, Tyler Anderson has been pitching very well, and Gonsolin has been good. But, like – Really? We're gonna we're you're gonna try to make a run on that? I mean, yeah. Theoretically you get Bueller back. Okay. There's no guarantee you get Dustin May back. Andrew Heaney was a disaster when he was healthy. So and and they still have dudes like Danny Duffy's injured and like a bunch of dudes. So I think that they make a move and they get a guy that I don't think Cleveland really wants to pay ace money for um given that they haven't really wanted to pay big money for almost anybody but jose ramirez um so yeah i think the dodgers have enough left in their farm system that they could easily coax cleveland into giving them shane bieber and uh they get a 27 year old guy to put at the front of their rotation yep i i could see it happening i could i really could and we'll like I said, each week we'll be back with another prediction for deadline, who gets dealt, and whatnot from there. But real quick, we're going to go through a little buy or sell action. And the first name we're going to talk about here is Taylor Ward. Through May, from the beginning of the year, he was hitting 349 with a 221 WRC+. plus. But ever since that calendar flipped to June, it's been a different story for Ward there as he's just hit 239 with an 81 WRC+. plus. We've kind of gotten this two shades of Ward over his last 120 plate appearances, two home runs and just one stolen base. And the average has obviously plummeted there. So what, what version of Ward are we going to get the rest of the way? And in turn, are you buying or are you selling? I guess I'm holding. Mm, Cop out. Love it. Like if I have them, I'm holding them. Yep. Unless you want to offer me, like, if you think the upside is there and you offer me a good deal, then I'll take it. Right now I'm holding. A, he was injured, right? So he's coming back from injury. Maybe he's taking a little longer to get back in the swing of things. Excuse the pun. Uh, but they seem to love him in L.A. And it's not just Joe Madden that loves him because Madden has been fired for a little while now. And they keep playing Taylor Ward. Um, so... He's still going to get the at-bats to figure it out. I'll hold him, right? Like, is he going to be 
the like number four dude in weighted runs created plus like he was earlier this year uh, or Woba, whatever it was. No, but can he be a solid guy that can help you in a variety of ways? Sure. I think so. So I'll hold and see which way the wind blows with him. And then Alex Bregman is another one. Slow start to the year. Turn it around a bit, hitting 273 in the month of June. Also with a 143 WRC plus and 366. Wobley's cooled off ever so slightly here in July, down a little bit. But he's almost the, the inverse of Ward in that slow start. Things have been pointing up instead of down for Bregman. So are you buying Alex Bregman? Are you selling Alex Bregman? Or are you mysteriously holding him as well? Um, I will buy on Alex Bregman. Um, he's kind of notorious for being a slow starter. And then by the end of the year, his numbers are kind of where you expect them to be, right? Um, and he seems to go a little bit the way of the Astros offense as a whole. Right, so if they're kind of slow and sluggish, he's a little slow and sluggish. And if they're on fire, he's that way too. So I think in the second half, the Astros are going to sort it out and they'll start uh, just really making the case for themselves to be a legit contender in the AL. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Bregman in the middle of the order, Pat. That offense is still good. He's still got guys like Jordan when he's healthy and Jose Altuve. And Kyle Tucker, who, by the way, is a starting all-star in the outfield for the AL. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in on Alex Bregman. And then level of concern, we're going to start here with Mackenzie Gore, your, your, your fantasy player. Poster boy, I think you got him on one of your teams where you made a deal for him. But Velo, apparently there's a little bit of a Velo dip. The workload's creeping up, and it seems like a workload management scenario is becoming perhaps a little bit more likely than not in San Diego with Gore. So tell me what's your level of concern with him. Um, yeah, I think it's I, I think it's people starting to adjust mm-hmm. to him. Um, the Velo is certainly... The velo drop certainly concerning. It's usually a sign that workload is maybe he needs an extra night off. Um, and the other problem is that that's two eight eight run games in his last four starts. Yeah. Right uh, earlier this year, um, I was making the point that he was great against everybody except for the Rockies. Right, he had at one point he had pitched almost sixty innings this season. And in, like, 53 of them, he had a 1.35 ERA against everybody. But in six of them, he had, like, a 19.8 ERA against the Rockies uh, in, like, six innings. Now this came against the Giants. Um, So, clearly, people in his division are starting to figure it out. I think the Padres are going to give him some time off. My level of concern is probably about a five right now. Um, You know, he's a rookie. He's going to get sorted out. Is he going to go back to the minors at this point? I don't think so. I don't think that's happening. I think he's up here for the long term. I don't think it's anything significant uh, that they need him to go, like, develop. I think it's just teams are getting a book on him, and he's got to start to adjust just like everybody else in the majors. Yep, I'm right around a five as well with Mackenzie Gore. Now, if, if if you're at a five on the next guy, I don't know what to tell you because I'm I'm extremely concerned. But Lucas Giolito, not very good this year. The strikeouts <laughs> no. have been fine, which is good. And 
the optimists are going to say, well, that 505 ERA, but a 4.44 FIP and a 3.62 XFIP and the strikeouts are there and it's all going to be fine and well. Well, that's good, but over his last eight starts, we got a 7.11 ERA and a 5.11 FIP. So, mm, sure, maybe he'll get a little bit better, but he's pitching like a 5 ERA pitcher like he is this year. Home runs have been an issue. He's literally getting hit by everyone. You know, at first with Mackenzie Gore, it was, oh, it's Colorado. You know, it is what it is. But Detroit for five earned runs, seven runs from Toronto, eight from Houston. So there are some good offenses there that have gotten to him. Kansas City got to him for a couple earned runs and such. He just has not been good. He's pitching five, six innings every night. So I guess he's doing his team in reality a justice. But then you look and it's like, oh, he allowed seven, five, eight, four, six earned runs. So maybe not so much. So my level of concern is quite high with Giolito. I'm going about a seven. What say you? Yeah, I'm probably about there, maybe a little higher. Um, look, people drafted him to be arguably a back-end number one starter going into the season, right? I mean, that's where most people had him ranked. He was not among the top five lock ace caliber guys, but he was expected to be an SP1 for fantasy. He's not been anywhere close to that. Um, anybody who was taking the discount on Dylan Cease looks like an absolute genius right now. And I look like an idiot for trading Dylan Cease this offseason uh, for Dayton, for Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, that did not work out so well. But level of concern for Lucas Giolito is about a 7.5 for me. I'm not sure he gets it figured out this year. Um, I think that, honestly, what I think happened is he lost a catcher that he wanted to to, to have catch him. Right? I can't verify this, but sometimes... Catchers and pitchers just have, like, you would know this, right, Colby? Like, catchers and pitchers, sometimes there's just a gel where one catcher calls the game the way the pitcher wants and another guy doesn't. We see it all the time where there's this just ridiculous, uh, you know, Garrett Cole had his personal guy, right? And with that personal guy, his ERA was like 2-2. With the other guy, it was like 4.5, right? Right? Maybe that's what's happening with Giolito, and they have to figure it out, and Tony LaRusse is too stupid to figure that out. I don't know. But uh, I don't know at this point if it gets any better this year, to be honest. I I agree with you there, and I just happened to look, too, as we're recording here on Monday night. I'm I'm looking through, seeing how some of my prize picks uh, plays are doing, and then I look and see Lance Lynn has gone out and allowed eight earned runs tonight, too. So what? Oh, so what a- you're telling me it's just a White Sox pitching just fiasco. Yep, conundrum fiasco. So maybe their pitching coach is just spending too much time improving Dylan Cease and not enough time helping anybody else. Well, it has surely worked for Dylan Cease. So yeah, I guess Ethan Katz has, has been that. a dude for Dylan Cease, but has not helped anybody else. He has got that in the bag with Cease. But we'll go ahead and wrap up this week's edition of the podcast with the prediction for the week that lies ahead. But before we get to that, I know it's fantasy baseball, but the NFL Draft Guide at Fantasy Alarm is free. Make sure it's all there. So much good stuff. There's a lot of good writers in there that are putting forth a lot of great content. Um, There's going to be some pieces coming out soon. If you have Texans talk, I'm the person to go to. You know, much like I like the Pirates and the MLB, I like the Texans and the NFL. There's something about these these almost cursed franchises in the past couple of years that seem to suck me in. But check out the Fantasy Alarm NFL Draft Guide. Tons of great content in there. But, Matt, I'm going to go first for the prediction for this week. Might be chalky. I don't care, but it's probably not. But Pittsburgh travels to Coors this weekend, and O'Neill Cruz is going to hit a 430-plus foot home run there just to say I should have been in the home run derby this year because he 
is awesome and has immense raw power. So O'Neill Cruz, 430-foot-plus round tripper at Coors some point this weekend. What is your prediction for the week that lies ahead? My prediction for the week is that in Shohei Otani's next start, he will extend his uh, zero earned runs allowed streak to five straight starts. I can't disprove that or dis- disagree with you with that. And he's each week I do the I do the fantasy baseball daily round of Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I always seem to get one of Otani's starts or performances, and it's like Otani makes history. Otani makes history again. Oh, look at that! It's Tuesday, so Shohei Otani had to make history yeah. Monday night. By the way, since his start on June 9th when his ERA was 3.64, he lowered he lowered it to 3.64 with his start on June 9th, which was a seven-inning, one-earned uh, outing, right? Since then, he has not allowed an earned run. He has lowered his ERA from 3.64 to 2.44 in four starts. And in those four starts, if I'm not mistaken, he's got 10-plus in – Three of them, and I think three in a row. Three in a row. He's got 13, 11, and 10 in his last, 10 strikeouts in his last. Uh, yeah. I think my favorite thing is looking at his last three starts is a, is a 44.7% strikeout percentage. But enough, enough marveling about it. I mean, Otani. it's, it's We're just do it enough over the All Star break. It's just amazing. The, it's just nuts what this, what this guy is doing. Like, yep. he's given up 12 total hits. And one total run, which was not earned. One run, not earned. Uh, in four starts. He's given up 12 hits in four starts while striking out, uh, what, 21, 34, 40 guys. He struck out 40 dudes and only given up 12 hits in his last four starts. Impressive. Impressive to say the very least. But that'll put... The bow on this week's edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Again, check out all the great content at Fantasy Alarm, whether it be MLB, NFL, or anything and everything in between. Check it all out there. Tons of great content there to take in. But until the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Baseball Podcast, we hope you have a great week. Not sure if we'll have one for the for the All-Star break week. Maybe. We'll see. We'll, Matt and I will get together and talk about that. So it might be two weeks till we see you next But until then, have a great week, and we'll see you for the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.